0: The scripture reading this morning is from the little book of Habakkuk, the last three verses, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. Though the fig tree does not blossom and no fruit is on the vines, though the produce of the olive fails and the fields yield no food, though the flock is cut off from the fold and there is no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and makes me tread upon the heights. This is the word of the Lord. You'd think that after 42 years of more or less regular preaching on Sunday I would have a Halloween sermon I could pull out for today. <laughs> but you know, I think I've probably neglected Halloween, and maybe I feel justified in doing that, but I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm sure there's an all-saints sermon that could, could have been hauled out uh, for, for today. Uh, you know, Halloween stands for All Hallows, All Saints' Eve. And so that certainly would have been appropriate. But instead, I have been drawn, as I've thought of this Sunday, to a simple one-syllable word. You know, preachers like to use multisyllable words like sanctification and justification and eschatology and all those good things. Theological students sometimes like to show off their... Theological profundity. I once asked a homiletic student why he needed to use a particularly obtuse theological term, and he said, I love that word. I love that word. Last Sunday, Pastor David threw out some theological terms, but he defined them. And, you know, that's that's helpful. There are some important long words, theological terms, but then there are one-syllable words some of them laden with great power. In fact, several years ago, Reader's Digest published an article on the power and the the strength of one-syllable words, and every word in that article was only one syllable. So the one-syllable word I want to highlight today is yet, yet, Y-E-T, say it with me, yet. You know, you ought to practice that word this week whenever you can, yet. Yet is often combined with another one-syllable word, though, sometimes abbreviated to three letters, T-H-O, though, yet. So try some uses of this powerful word yet with though. Though traffic in Seattle can be ugly, yet we love our city. Though the political tone and violent actions of these days is fear-laden, full of threat, yet, yet we believe that God has good purposes for his world. Though married life may be challenging and our spouse may not always make us happy, yet we will be faithful husbands and wives, and mine always does. Though we experience disappointments in life and in other people, and sometimes even disappointments in God, yet will we be faithful in our commitments. Though we struggle with illness, disability, yes, and aging, yet we will rejoice and we will trust in God. Though God hasn't chosen to answer my prayers in the way I had hoped sometimes, yet I will trust in and believe in God's goodness. So how would you use the little word yet today from where you're sitting, from where you are in your life? Though yet. You you remember the story of three Hebrew men far away from their homeland. They'd been taken captive by the Babylonians from Judah, way to Babylon, and these three Hebrew men had learned to pray to their God from childhood up. Three times a day they would get down on their knees, they would offer their prayers to God. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, he believes in prayer too, but he believes everybody should pray to him. And so he, he sets up a huge statue of himself And he says, if you don't pray to this huge God statue, I will throw you into a furnace, and I will burn you alive. Well, what will the three Hebrew men do? You know their their names, Shadrach, Meshach, and we used to call it to bed we go, but it's a a bed we go, I I assure you. Uh, But do you remember what they say to King Nebuchadnezzar? Though a... Or though we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. He will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if, even though our God does not save us from the blazing furnace, even if God does not do what we believe God can do and what we are praying God to do, even though, even though, yet we will not serve your God or pray to the image of gold you have set up. In a little more recent history, Mother Teresa spent most of her adult life helping the poorest of the poor, the sick, and the dying in Calcutta. And uh, she was a remarkable woman. But this wonderful, saintly woman we discovered after her death also endured the agonies of spiritual darkness in her own heart. The dark night of the soul is what the church has called the spiritual darkness which Mother Teresa experienced. Though she went through spiritual doubt and despair and loneliness, yet she persevered in her heroic activity with the people of Calcutta. And Mother Teresa told her fellow nuns, you can be joyful even if you're suffering because you are working and acting with love that gives meaning to the suffering. And I remember when Mother Teresa was given a state funeral by Hindu India. And I remember watching the TV and being amazed, amazed at that. You See, our story does not always turn out the way we hope or the way we pray. Some of us know people, situations for whom there has been fervent prayer, but there has been no miracle, no physical healing, and yet there's been faithfulness to God. When I was a relatively young man, and that was a long time ago, I spent five years as pastor of a college church in a rural area of western New York. When we moved to New York, to Houghton, New York, there was a a gracious, saintly old man who lived and who had taught in that community, in the college in that community for for many years. He was now retired, but was still a fixture in that town. And I I, I learned a lot from watching and listening to older people in that community. I don't remember much about what he said, but I remember he loved the phrase, the invincible yet. Loved to use that phrase. The invincible yet, and I've never forgotten that phrase, though it's 36 years since we moved from Houghton. Dr. Shea drew this vision from the scripture reading of today. Once upon a time, some 600 years before Jesus, there was this preacher named Habakkuk. The word of God through some prophets feels like a hammer. But Habakkuk primarily talks to God, and then Habakkuk listens to what God says. Habakkuk starts by complaining to God about what God seems to be doing or not doing in the world. Habakkuk calls God to account for the way things are going. Oh Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not listen? Destruction, violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The wicked surround the righteous. Judgment comes forth perverted. What a way to talk to God, don't you think? But have we felt like talking to God that way? Maybe even recently? God doesn't seem to object to the outpouring of feeling to God. God seems to answer the prophet, yes, the world's in a mess. Here's what I'm doing about it. I'm stirring up the Chaldeans. I'm stirring up the Babylonians. They will be an answer to the world's evil. So about this time in history, the the Babylonians are on the rise across the ancient Middle East. And they are sweeping across the ancient world. And in 587 B.C., important date, in 587 B.C., the Babylonians would defeat and destroy Jerusalem. They would tear down and burn the great temple built by Solomon. And the Babylonians would take most of the people of Judah away to Babylon and into captivity. And God says, I'm arousing the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seek dwellings not their own. And Habakkuk responds to God, but, 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 but Lord, why would you do that? Why would you allow that? Don't you know that the Babylonians are not good people? Why would you allow an admittedly wayward people like the people of Judah to be punished by people even worse than they are, like the Babylonians. (laughs) Habakkuk says, your eyes, God, are too pure to behold. You cannot look on wrongdoing. Why do you look on the treacherous and are silent when the wicked swallow those more righteous than, than they? So Habakkuk calls God to account. Habakkuk argues with God about God's justice. Then Habakkuk does something preachers should probably do more often not just drink water. But Habakkuk takes time to hush up and listen and then watch for what God may be doing. He says, I stand at my watch post. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Out of this listening time, God does not fully explain to Habakkuk the reason for everything that's going on. God does not fully explain the whys of what's going to happen. But Habakkuk arrives at this conclusion. He says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. God does let Habakkuk know that the Babylonians also will face consequences for their wrong. And according to history, the Babylonian empire was eliminated, wiped out, succeeded by the Medo-Persian empire. And so Habakkuk declares, I will wait quietly for the day of calamity to come upon the people who attack us. After this history lesson, and maybe I've caused you to settle into a mid-morning nap, here's the final chapter of this three-chapter little book. It's a song to God, and it's a song that climaxes in a powerful statement of faith. It's an affirmation of faith which hinges on that little word, yet, But before we get to yet, we've got to go to though. In the context of though, I hear at least two things in Habakkuk 3. One is calamity. Though the fig tree does not blossom, though there is no fruit on the vine, though the produce of the olive fail, though the fields yield no food, Though the flock is cut off from the fold, though there is no herd in the stalls, for an agriculture-based society, that is absolute calamity. This was before the days of manufacturing and high tech. See, there was no Boeing, no Microsoft, no Amazon. And even city dwellers depended for their well-being on the produce of the field, the uh, orchard, the vineyard, the herds. Everything would be destroyed by the approaching Babylonians. It would be a little bit like though the stock market tanks, though real estate prices bottom out, though terrorism is a constant threat magnified by 24-hour news, though shootings in our neighborhood and in our places of worship happen, way too often, or make it more personal, though my diagnosis is bad and treatments don't seem to be successful, though my job has been terminated, and though my spouse leaves me, and though I feel myself disappointed with life, and though I'm going through a significant depression, though there's calamity on the horizon, though, though, though. If calamity is one thing we hear in the context of though, another is continuing questions. As I read Habakkuk, I hear continuing questions implied. And Habakkuk does not receive a final answer to his questions, to the question of why, how come. You see, God is not obligated to explain everything to our satisfaction. Have you thought about that for a while? God is not obligated to explain everything to our satisfaction and to answer all the questions about why things happen the way they do. The though of life may include continuing questions which we have to face if we are honest. And in the midst of these questions, Habakkuk looks to God, who God is, what God has done, what God says. Last Sunday, Pastor David talked about embracing, embracing the mysteries about God, and I agree, but I would suggest the use of what I call a mystery bag. When I do my best to figure things out and I'm not satisfied, I put things in a mystery bag and I put it on the shelf for at least six months. Just leave it alone. After six months, I get the mystery bag out and rummage through it and say, okay, here's an unanswered question. Um, See if there's any answer to that question now. If there's more light on the question, great. If there isn't, let's put it back again, the mystery bag on the shelf. We do not have to have answers for everything. Some things are a mystery. Though there is calamity and though there are continuing questions, there can still be the yet. Feel the power of the invincible yet. And in the yet, I hear implied a focus on God. Listen, God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He makes me tread upon the heights. Again and again in the Psalms, the secret of effective living, the secret of surviving the though to the yet is choosing our perspective on life. Will my perspective be focused only on trouble? It's kind of hard these days whenever you turn on the TV, there seems to be trouble. Will my perspective be focused on how people have disappointed me, how life has disappointed me, maybe how God has disappointed me? You know, one reason I read the Psalms just about every day is because every day, every day I need that focus on life. I need that focus on life. So, does life look full of trouble? We look at the though of life and tell God about what we see. Someone recently told me that he was disappointed with God, and my quick answer was, have you told God that? We tell God how bad things look, but then we choose to fix our attention on who God is, what God is like. God, the Lord, is my strength. And in the context of this little word, yet, I hear a focus of attention on God, but I also hear a choosing of joy. Yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will exult in the God of my salvation. But be sure we understand that joy is not the same thing as happiness. I think we get these confused sometimes. Joy is not primarily an emotion that comes and goes. Joy is responding to who God is even in the midst of hard things. I will rejoice in the Lord, sings Habakkuk. Rejoice in the Lord always, says the Apostle Paul to the Philippian church. Yet means that we choose joy even in the midst of though. Wrote Henri Nouwen, joy does not simply happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day. Joy does not just happen to us. We have to choose joy and keep choosing it every day, though yet. Kim was a top-ranked speed skater. She trained single-mindedly for the Olympics. She was seated number one in the trials, but she had a bad day and she finished fourth. Four four years of preparation for the Olympics, and she had not made it. On the same day she placed fourth in the Olympic trials, she was seated in a locker room next to a woman who had seen her skate. And as this woman watched the athlete's composure, she asked Kim, how are you able to handle this kind of disappointment? And Kim replied, it's because I've given my life to Christ, and he gives me strength. She was not bubbling over with happiness, no, but she was experiencing joy, she was experiencing peace. And that day, the woman seated next to Kim in the locker room gave her life to Christ. Why? Because Kim had worked through the though to the yet. So let me try to wrap up a little bit. How may we live our lives in the light of this powerful little word? Well, for one thing, be honest about the though. Look at the tough things of life squarely, and then lament. Lament with the Psalms. Lament with the prophets of ancient times. Tell God how things look to you. Be honest about the though of life, but also consciously focus on what we know to be true about God in the midst of the though. Again and again, the psalmists cry out, I lift my eyes to the Lord. I seek the Lord's face. I look to who God is. Habakkuk tells us the righteous shall live by faith. This kind of faith is keeping our eyes on God when we don't have answers and when life seems like a mess and finally choose joy in the midst of and despite the though. I may not be happy, but I can be joyful. I can rejoice in the Lord. In his dream, a rabbi asks, where's paradise? And the rabbi has shown a room full of spiritual leaders sitting around a table absorbed in the study of Scripture. Is this all there is to paradise, he said? Is there nothing more to paradise than sitting around and reading the Bible? You do not understand, the rabbi is told. The spiritual leaders are not in paradise. Paradise is in the spiritual leaders. Joy, you see, is not just what happens to us. Joy is what is within us. Joy comes when we choose to live by the invincible yet. Cory ten Boom survived a Nazi concentration camp, and reflecting on this experience, she said, there is no pit so deep that God isn't deeper still. Cory ten Boom, like Habakkuk, reminds us that even in the pits of tragedy, God is still there. God is present. I learned to love a contemporary hymn by Fernando Ortega, And the wonderful music director and the choir are going to lead us in this after a little bit. When the morning falls on the farthest hill, I will sing his name. I will praise him still. When dark trials come and my heart is filled with the weight of doubt, I will praise him still. For the Lord our God, he is strong to save from the arms of death, from the deepest grave, and he gave us life in his perfect will, and by his good grace, I will praise him still. I invite us in some moments of silence simply to open our hearts to this God who has promised never to leave us or forsake us, who is with us in the midst of whatever we may be experiencing, and I encourage us to lay our though before God. Let us be in prayer.